Welcome to Juvenilia. This is a podcast where we go back in time to meet our younger selves and shake hands and have a look at all of the creative work that we did when we were 13, 14, 15, 16. I could go on. Sam. I mean, do do, do go on. Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Sam's here. Hello. I'm, I'm Corbin, and uh, he's Sam. And uh, yeah, so we 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 used to make like books, and still try to. And um, we've we been trying to. Well, I, I'd say we still do, but you know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. We write, we draw, we juggle, and um, it's Hang funny on, no, to. You can you can you can make that funny. You can think we uh, we write, we draw, sometimes more. Oh, very nice. Yeah, that's there you go. That's a good company slogan, but uh, so yeah, it's taken a long time to explain this. But basically, we uh, we go and look back at stupid stuff we made when we were kids and um, have a look at it and ask ourselves why. Why did we do this? Why did we feel the need to make this silly, these silly arty things when we were younger? And why do we still? It's a good question, and I don't know if we're yet going to get to the answer, but we're going to dig a little further today. <laughs> By looking at one of the more stupid things that I created when I was a teenager. Today, we're going to be looking at a very, 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 very short-lived comic by the name of Third Dimension. Or, in some reprintings, Third Dimension. Wow. Well, it may have been short-lived, but its impact resonates to this day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the world of uncompleted comics it was uh, not not truly uh, not truly catalyzed, not truly calcified uh, before before this instance. I basically put the idea of not finishing something on the map. That's my that's my that's <laughs> <laughs> my addition to the the, the great canon. That's so, the greatest revolution in art since Marcel Duchamp, the genius Sam, who decided, hang on, what if you just don't have to finish it? Yeah, now you're asking questions. It's post post. Pre-modernism. I mean, it's actually like true though, because I do think great artists kind of um, they have an understanding that there there is there is, you know you can leave things unfinished in a sort of deliberate way, not to get too deep too soon, but you know it's got that kind of art can have that broken pillar aspect to it where it's like it's beautiful because of what's not there, you know you don't have to cover the whole canvas in paint. You can leave well, some parts you, I mean, you only have to think of. Um... Keith Haring's last work, I can't summon the name to my mind, but uh, the like a, a, a portrait that he was working on when he knew that he was was uh, not long for this world um, due to, I believe, complications from HIV AIDS. Yeah. Um, and the the sort of the treatment that the, the government and the Reagan administration was giving at the time, um, both in America and then Thatcher in the UK, like... It was like this piece was basically a comment on how his life was going to be cut short, unfinished, with like so much left to that would, that would go unsaid. So he, this final piece of his that he just didn't finish, on intentionally, well, not intentionally, but you understand what I mean. Yeah, I'm like, looking at um, I'm looking at it now. It's a sort of corner of a mosaic. Yes. Yeah, that's yes, quite. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, I've I've never seen that before. That doesn't look like his. Oh no, I see how it is. Yeah. Sorry, I was about to say it doesn't look like his work, but it actually does. Yeah, it's um, he 
I'm often I'm often uh, uncertain of what to think of uh, what his estate has done with uh, with his work. How it appears to be sold on everything at the moment, including socks, which are both very cool and not very cool at all. Yeah, I also believe that the uh, UK government licensed his style to use in uh, uh, public service adverts promoting getting five fruit and veg a day. Did they really? Well, I don't know if they actually did, but they did these ads that look just like um, Keith Haring. Are we talking a little, a little way, a little way back? Yeah, a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I know the ones you mean. I <laughs> can't imagine that they paid for the the licensing rights. I think that they probably just uh, made enough tweaks to keep it generic, whilst you know, obviously, like making a nod to it. Although maybe 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 they did uh, pay some small paltry sum for the for the rights, but I feel like they probably would have. Um, they would have had a different slogan then, you know. It's um, won't ha- have a Keith, eat a veg. <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know what I mean by that, but I'm glad that I avoided the punchline that I realized I could have made. So let's carry on. That could be a pun with Keith and Quiche. Is okay. Quiche healthy or is it unhealthy? It's kind of borderline. Quiche Lorraine is very unhealthy. It's um, basically pretty fattening. Bacon, bacon and cheese and egg. It's mm. like sort of a breakfast pie. <laughs> But I guess we're not really here to talk about that. Um, <laughs> Bacon pie. That's the title of the episode. So got titles now? Jesus Christ. No, the title is the title of the work. Sam. I don't listen to the show. This third dimension, it was a comic. It was your attempt to follow up the usual scum. And, well, it's completely different. But it's also very much the same. It's when... one of the one of the four official usual scum scum sequels. <laughs> How many unofficial ones are there? I tried oh, to think. Name, nameless, <laughs> nameless millions. Um, when when did you make this then? So I made this around. This is going to be approaching two thousand four to two thousand five. Um, like I would have been fourteen, fifteen, depending on when it was. I think that. I think that this was before I turned 15, so I think this is when I'm 14, and I'm starting to realize that if I want to... There's a, there's a conversation that happens at some time around this time with someone that I'm still friends with, um, who I'd not known for very long, but we started talking on MSN Messenger, um, and she pointed out to me that... like I, I was talking about how I like the idea of like making comics, and she pointed like I said, I don't think it's very cool. Like I, you know, I think people will probably you know look down on that quite a lot. And she said, like, do you think that there are people out there, or do you think that there are not people out there who want to have sex with Yonan Vasquez? And I remember thinking, you know, now that you mention it, I think there probably are people out there that want to have sex with Yonan Vasquez. And then I thought, well, if I start doing comics a bit more like his comics. Maybe people will want to have sex with me. Now, that is that really what happened? That is roughly what happened. I don't know if it's exactly at this point, but there's basically there's a shift where I started reading the work of Yonan Vasquez, which is around this time, and I started to realize, oh, comics aren't just Marvel superhero comics because, like, as we've uh, sort of touched on before, like I, I hadn't um, my my introduction to comics was very much uh, through alternate and like web based comics. Um, and it's around this time that I pick up a copy of Squee, 
because it, I just like the, the the style because I like we had a little comic shop in our town, uh, Ace Comics. Um, I sort of went in there and I saw this comic and it looked sort of silly and it looked a little bit like Invader Zim, which was another thing that I'd sort of like seen through. It's a lot of things coalescing around this time and realizing as I talk, but uh, yeah, um, to to uh, to give a short answer, I was about fifteen. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I was about fifteen, and uh, I thought I want to make a comic and I wanted to have a storyline, but I still want it to be funny because I can clearly do funny, and nobody's looking at me for a dramatic comic. So if yeah. I do a dramatic comic with comedy, then maybe maybe I can move my massive fan base of three people across <laughs> well that is interesting i um it's literally just occurred to me how much you basically did the legwork of um finding good comics and introducing me to them because up until we were teenagers my only my only understanding of comics was the beano <clears throat> no. and um it was only because of you that i started reading manga <laughs> and it was only because of you that I ever went to Ace Comics and started looking at artists like Joan and Vasquez and realizing there was this alternative comics scene. It's kind of interesting. Um, what was I going to say? So, um, <clears throat> you, yeah, because Joan and Vasquez... Okay, we've got to talk about Joan and Vasquez. Or is it is, is it pronounced Yonan Vasquez? It might, it might be Yonan uh, Vasquez. He's, um, so he's, uh, he's American-Mexican uh, in his... Um, ethnicity, like in his uh, genetic background, genetic background—that's not—that's not the right words. In you know, like in a, his heritage, that's the word I'm looking for. Jesus mm. Christ. Um, so the often, uh, often uh, J's in the la- that language will be will be a, sort of a Y sound. Yeah. Um, but they can like because I, I don't think it would be a sort of an H sound. Um, because it's in front of an H, so the H is clearly already doing something. So it's, I don't think it's like a, a sort of a double H sound, but at the same time, it could be, it could be like, it could be German because it could be a sort of a, a derivative of like, you know, John, John and Johnny. Oh, yeah. So I'm not really sure. I've never heard it, anyone else say it out loud. No, no, that's always a pain. Um, but so you discovered his comic, you just came across his comics in the shop? Yes, well, and I, so I'd uh, we'd recently gotten broadband internet at my house, and I had been shown how to use LimeWire by one of my brothers. And one of the things that he had downloaded that he was like, "You should watch this," was Invader Zim. And I watched Invader Zim, maybe like six or seven episodes that he managed to like, you know, pinch off the internet. Um, and then I was I was at this comic shop, and I was just sort of like looking around, and um, I'd already discovered manga at that point um, after a sort of a just a random walking trip through Otica's, a now defunct uh, bookshop um, chain from the UK. And um, in there, they'd had like a little manga stand. I picked it up because it had half-naked women on the front, and I was quite excited about that. I was like, I could probably buy this, and no one really knows this because it's a book. <laughs> um, so like, I'd already started with like Chobbits and Love Hina and a couple of like other, like you know, for teenage boy mangas. Um and that had led me to like seeking out comic shops that were actually in Colchester, which is where I was like spending most of my time. Um, and I found Ace Comics, which is a, well, I, I, I assume it's still there, but uh, it was a wonderful little um, sort of geek shop, for want of a better word. You know, like toys and card games and board games and in the basement, Forbidden Planet. 
which I assume was an off um, an offshoot of the larger Forbidden Planet chain that exists elsewhere in the UK. But yes, um, that's a, again a long answer. But I, I I sort of stumbled down there one time and was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of comics down here. This is interesting. And I didn't I wasn't planning on spending very long down there because I I still had this like uh, these preconceived notions about um, those sort of very thin um, A4 size roughly comics being all like Marvel stuff, and I was just not interested. And then I just saw there was this display and it had this like character on the front and I immediately clocked that it was the same style as Invader Zim. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Someone's copied their style. It didn't occur to me that maybe the same person would have worked on both animation and comics. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like pick it up. It seemed kind of silly and maybe a little bit dark. And I was like, oh, give it a try. <laughs> and then, yeah, I came back about three days later, um, having like, you know, obviously blitzed through it very quickly. Um, and sort of understanding that there was more, and then maybe a week later, went into the parent series from Squee, which was uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Um, and yeah, that was uh, obviously something of a revelation for both myself and uh, other friends. Yeah. So Johnny the Homicidal Maniac was like, I think it still remains his kind of signature work. Well, that and Invader Zim, but that's kind of in comics. Yeah. He never really kind of did anything significant after that it's kind of like that's his thing basically. yeah and i i do think that it's sort of interesting um to to overly um to, to overly inflate my sense of self-importance i do i think that it's interesting that both he and i had this sort of first seminal work and then basically did loads of like little short or unfinished comics afterwards that were sort of nods to sort of attempts at recreating but like never really getting very far with um you know sort of mini sequel and spin-off comics i feel like all of his comics exist in a sort of a shared universe in that way yeah well they're very distinctive and i mean you could argue that they're kind of edgy they're kind of a bit um bit cringy kind of yeah i mean you can't help but feel they come from a sort of angry teenage mentality but they are at the same time so distinctive and so kind of like balls out in what they do that you kind of forgive it because it's just like you know christ like it like in terms of appearance and subject matter it's like it's so dark and the 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 humor is so strange and it's so kind of like (laughs) aggressively horrible but also very cartoony yeah and it just it doesn't really look or feel like anything else. Like still, like I, I wasn't as big a fan of it as you or Chilton, <laughs> but still, it kind of like has this like impact in my brain where it's like that was kind of a quite a quite a special thing. Like he 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 found something there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I've I'm always sort of hesitantly um, anticipating um, that being turned into like an adult animated series because I feel like it's a thing that might happen. I feel like there were rumors about it on the internet some some from Jonan himself or Jonan himself um, that they might like make that into like an animated show and I don't think it ever really got off the ground. But uh, it's yeah. surprising that it hasn't. Mm. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. The I actually looked up quickly what Jonan Vasquez has been doing since his uh, heyday. Mm. And um, very funny little line at the end of the Wikipedia article about him, where it says that uh, several years ago, a mug 
based on a design from Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, was under development. And that, that's, that's the last thing that happened. <laughs> he was in the process of developing a mug. It's still no word on whether that mug is coming out. I mean, it's a, to, if you ask me from that, it sounds like the, the mug's already out. It could be, but you know, where was the press release? Where was the fanfare? I'm referring to Jeremy Vasquez himself when I talk of the mug. But... Oh, Sam, <laughs> you know who the real mug is? You, the reader. Oh, even me, Samuel Bone. You got mugged off, mate. I did. I mugged off around the back <clears> of the bike sheds. But I'm sure we'll talk more about Mr. Vasquez uh, later on. But before we do, you know, what what is Third Dimension? What it's it's. I uh, presumably you did it in fountain pen, like the usual scum. No, no, I didn't do it in fountain pen. I did it in biro. Well, I did it in biro. <laughs> you you I, sound you say you're saying that like I'm a, like a, I'm a total philistine. Like fountain pen doesn't work for this sort of comic. I instead I use a biro, which arguably would be even worse. No, I, I used um, a combination of biro and I had like a sort of a, a black felt tip because I knew that I needed like thick black lines for stuff. So I had to kind of like, but I, I I knew the edges of the the felt tip that I had would be rough. So I basically, I basically like drew parallel lines for the outlines of like a lot of my characters and then sort of carefully filled it in. Oh, okay. Because um, it's a much more designed, much more kind of artsy-looking thing than the usual scum. You know, you've designed yes. the pages, and you're you're clearly putting a lot of effort into um, making it look, you know, trying to give it a sort of elegance and trying to draw well. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is that is the the market um, the market difference between um, between scum and this as well. It's one of many. There's so many so many differences, but like. <laughs> <laughs> the only real thing that it's, uh, that's uh, similar is that the main character is I think it's meant to be me, pretty sad it's meant to be me I can't imagine that I would have picked it to be anyone else No, I think it's me actually, thank you <laughs> But what's okay, so the main character is you But what's what's your elevator pitch? What's the one sentence blurb for this story? What what was it? What is it about? What was it meant to be about? Uh, so it was meant to be about a uh, a teenage boy who discovers that there is a, sort of a, a a second version of his town, um, like a you know an additional an additional sort of layer to his town, like a almost probably before I really had this as a concept in mind, but it, you know it was meant to be like an alternate like version of his town that was like run by goths. <laughs> Um, that he like uh, he slowly be- like becomes aware of, um, and it sort of takes him out of his uh, his you know his normie core lifestyle, and uh, yeah, that was I, that, uh, that was really? what, that was where I wanted to go with it. I had absolutely no idea that's what it was about. I thought it was just like a school slice of life surreal humor type thing. Well, in what I what I thought to myself was like because that's what I did so much of with the usual scum. I was like. This is a sequel. I want to make the move from you know where I, where I was at when I started doing that to where I where I feel I am now. Which I, was, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to work out that 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 was like you know me becoming aware of like the other kids my age that existed in in my town because obviously there are more kids in your town than the ones that go to your school if you go to yes. if you live in a town of any considerable size. And I was starting to meet individuals from other schools as I started to socialize on my own. Um, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, and all these people. And some of them are quite 
weird, and some of them are quite like alternate, and a lot of them are goths. <laughs> Um, and 15 is exactly that sort of age where you start doing that, where you start kind of becoming aware of the world outside of your little, you know, family, school. Exactly. And I, um, in- yeah, I I mean, two things. One, I, like, I, I, I think it's fair that you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't have worked that out because I do literally have, like, I think I got as far as two and a half pages of content for this and I only really showed the two that I finished. So it's, uh, it's not, it's, it doesn't like it hasn't laid out the table. No, you got a little further than that, but we'll we'll discuss that later. Oh dear! But, so you strike. <laughs> so yeah, you were fifteen, meeting people. You had the social skills to socialize to socialize with people from other schools. Mm. Me, not so much. Always envied that. Mm. But to me, there's always been this thing where it's like you you were never a goth, Sam. You were never part of the goth subculture, but. I always sense that you've been goth adjacent. You've always had, you've always been, you've always admired the goths. You've always been um, a goth, a goth ally. <laughs> yeah, I like to, I've, like back in those days, I uh, unironically used to think of um, different, like different, like groups of kids wearing different kinds of clothes as like, you know, different sort of groups, different nationalities, like, and they sort of came together in the mixing pot of Culver Square. Where everyone was uh, trying to hold on to the fountain, but nobody could ever keep it. <laughs> um, and I considered myself something of an ambassador. I would walk the fountain, <laughs> Un- unliked by all, but tolerated, tolerated by many. <laughs> Secretary General of the Culver Square UN. Exactly. I was the Banky Moon of my time. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, that's um, that's kind of fascinating. And uh, presumably, uh, well, what we have, <clears throat> I'll tell you what we have, because I've opened the big book of scum. Oh, and in the big book of, in the big book of scum, mm-hmm. we've got the first, the first three pages of third dimension. However, Sam, mm. I remember very clearly that there was more mm. because there was a scene where Sam arrives at school and there was this whole sequence where you do a like a secret handshake with someone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you remember that? I remember. A, uh, yeah, I remember a secret handshake. Like that was a that was going to be like a like a sort of a thing where the secret handshake was going to be like kind of like kind of cool, kind of funny, but like you know over the top. And then later it was like like. The thing that frustrates me about this, like this comic, is that I like I wanted it to like feel like a transition from like very stupid into like more serious, but still with stupid elements. Mm. And one of the ways that I thought I could do that would be by like having a, like a sort of a parallel scene later on where like two really serious characters then do and like an equivalent, like a, an equivalently stupid like secret handshake. Yeah, um, but it's totally serious. Yeah, that's kind of clever, actually. That's I, I like that. Well, but I, you can kind of sense the the difference between like that you're doing this funny but serious thing, like right here on the third page. It's like it's it's weird, it's silly, but then you've got this kind of ca- girl character introduced mm. that introduces a quite a clear note that like something is going to happen, something's going to go down, whether it's romance or some kind of um, some kind of. Uh, weird supernatural situation going on in the town or something but this this mysterious goth girl that wanders around the town for the last week or so yeah 
and it's it's introducing like oh it's planting something it's a, a Chekhov's gun right there in the first scene you might say it's a Chekhov's goth check exactly yeah and uh, yeah we're, sorry we're kind of jumping all over the place here but there the handshake I do remember thinking when I saw that that uh, that might have um, finished you off in terms of tolerating drawing this because <laughs> yeah it was hard you could see how mu- I could see how much you struggled with it and I remember thinking oh yeah he's He's done a good job trying to show all the steps of two people shaking their hands in all these ways. But hands are very hard to draw. You're having to draw two, each the opposite way around from each other, doing multiple actions where they're interacting with each other. I would struggle a lot to do that now. Yeah. So, yeah. bad choice. No, I, I, <laughs> I'm i pretty certain you're, you're spotting the money there. Like I, My brain's quite, quite kind um, in that when it comes to like the actual the actual things that I really like struggle with to the point where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. My brain sort of erases those memories quite often or like basically scrubs, scrubs them out for the most part. It's like, it doesn't matter. You you stopped. Like you had to stop. It was, that was fine. Whatever. It's not like you couldn't do this. (laughs) Oh, well that's quite good. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I I, like that was, that was obviously difficult. I think also, I, I don't know that my character's, they they don't have fully formed hands. They're not like particularly anatomical. Mm. I think they're four finger well, four finger the best. Kind of makes it harder, doesn't it? Yeah. Because then how do you draw? Well, that's the problem with cartooning. It's like if you draw a cartoon characters with parts missing, with like a limited sort of, you know, that's it's not a complete figure. Then when the time comes to for them to do certain things, then you're stuck. Like if you draw your characters without ears, and then there's a plot point that involves them having ears, yeah. like you know whatever <laughs> or if you draw them with yeah little ball hands and then suddenly it's like there's something involving fingers it's kind of it's kind of weird isn't it yes <clears throat> and i feel like i i feel like i'd seen a lot of like web comics at that point that had gone down the like you know the overly simplified um design aspects for like things to make them easy to draw and they were like you know, they were hit, hitting problems where it didn't, you know, exactly as you lay it out there, like, a, they just didn't look very good, mm. like, because of it. And I, I remember thinking, I want, I want to make comics that look good and not just make people laugh. But, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And you can, I can see that you're, you're doing that. And I saw it at the time and I remember kind of sort of thinking like it was brave, but like, I could see that it was, I could see how much of a struggle it was for you. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, trying to brute force it. I hadn't. It's not like I'd suddenly like acquired new skills from practice or honing. I was still very much in my like. I don't need to practice things. I just need to do them right the first time. Way of thinking. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's that's the. Unfortunately, it takes a long time to learn how to learn. Mm. I, I'm going to ask you in a sec what your main kind of memory around the project is, but I, I'll tell you what mine is because I actually you've just reminded me of um, when you were drawing this first page. There's there's this panel of. Sam running the bleep test in the gym <laughs> and I remember you like rubbing it out and trying again and again to get it right drawing this little figure of Sam running fast and you said to me oh, Corbin how do you draw someone who actually looks like they're running fast and my helpful suggestion was ah oh, you just you gotta give him speed lines haven't you that's what they do in the comics and you said I remember this really well you said oh, I don't know that seems that seems kind of like a cheap way of doing it it doesn't really make him look like he's running. And uh, the truth is, you just have to draw it well. <laughs> yeah, you've got to be able to draw, um, you know, it's, you've got to be able to convey like a gesture, like movement and weight. 
weight is probably yeah. is probably one of the key um, points of that. Like, uh, and that takes a level of rendering which I even now I would. I, if you told me to draw someone running, um, even if I was working from like a very like helpful reference photo, I think I would probably still that probably still struggle to make them not look a little bit static. Yeah, well, the one big trick is to have them completely off the ground, so they're mid leap, because then it's like it gives it a sense of forward momentum. Yeah, it's a lot harder to draw someone fast if uh, if they're actually touching the ground. That's true. That is true. Which total side note, by the way, when I drew Grand Theft Horse, that's a nightmare because fun fact, horses when they run, they never have all four hooves leave the ground. So if you want to draw a horse running accurately, it always has to be touching the ground with at least one hoof, cool. which makes it very hard for them to make it to, for them to look like they're running fast. There's a, there's a young man by the name of Edward Moybridge who would have a lot to say about what you just said. No, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay. I swear to God. I'll, I'll, anyway, you gotta... I'll forego that photographic evidence, the first of its kind. Oh, no, you look closely at those. The hooves are always touching the ground. I don't think so. I, 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 think so. <laughs> I, I promise you. Oh, no, wait. No, no, they do leave the ground. But it's not, it depends on the... It's not, the com- it's not common, is my understanding. It's not like it's, uh, <laughs> it's every other second. It's... <laughs> I'm going to cut this whole section out. <laughs> Why do I remember it like that? No, of course they they do leave the ground, but no, it's like it's at a very specific. This is what it is at a very specific moment in 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 the stride. So yeah, sorry, this is it. The problem is when they have their legs extended, their legs and never leave the ground. It's only at the point where their legs are kind of folded up underneath them when they're at that point and. Yeah. Oh yeah. But the thing is, if you draw them like that, it looks like they're hovering because <laughs> they're. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's not. Uh, it's not good. To, it's not good cinema. Horses are hard to draw. Um, horses for courses, as I always say. I've definitely just embarrassed myself with that one. But yeah. let me let's move it's on all right. quickly. I get, and I, uh, I get to name, I name drop Edward Moybridge. I'm feeling pretty happy with myself. Today's been a, rou- a rousing success for me. Um, maybe not so much for yourself. <laughs> it's amazing what facts can embed yourself in. Like I, could, I bet I could just look at the cover of Grand Theft Horse right now. And yeah, all four hooves are off the ground on the cover. Anyway, what is your main memory of this project? Like, what was happening in your life? What do you remember creating it? And what what was the atmosphere like? Well, so, this is a strange thing because I have no, um, I have no spatial memory for creating this when i was working on this my memories are so like connected to being like very physically close to the page you've i think you've probably seen me do this um like when i'm drawing something and i have no idea how to do it i get really really close to the paper and i hold my like my pencil or pen or tool very close to the point and i really like i I in my head it's it's what I refer to as my my careful pose, um, where it's like yeah. I'm this like big like hulking beast, but I'm capable of very fine careful lines. Um, uh, and yeah. like I I remember like I remember that as a sensation, that as a feeling, like being there. Like you know I I worked in pencil and then I worked in uh, like biro and felt tip to like fill in and then yeah. I I didn't I hadn't I hadn't discovered brush tips at this point, and I feel like brush tips is like a chapter all by itself for both you and I. Um, but Maybe. That, that, <laughs> that hasn't that hasn't. They would have helped. Yeah, 
And eventually a brush would have helped. I mean, I don't know what Jonah Vasquez used to create his comics, but obviously a lot of comics used a, a brush dipped in ink, and that's how they get such wonderful, wonderful lines. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> but do you remember... Because I, I must have been there with you when you were drawing the first page. Do you remember where you drew it? Was it just in your bedroom or...? I think it must have been in my bedroom. I think it must have been in there, probably at the, uh, the rotating desk. Uh, that we've touched on before. Um, yeah, I, I, I may have been sat there. Maybe that's what. Maybe you were in the room. Maybe, uh, maybe I put on spaced to entertain you. Um, and I was just drawing away. I can't to keep I can't. me amused. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like putting on Barney the dinosaur for a four-year-old. <laughs> I've got <laughs> like, uh, keep him busy while I work. <laughs> I've got Wilkin this weekend. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> it was kind of like that. <laughs> 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 no, um, no, I, I, I probably wouldn't have done it whilst media was on, but uh, I, I do remember, like maybe we had the radio on. I remember we went through like a phase of listening to like Radio One a lot to, at that time. Yeah, like the Friday, the Friday night uh, Zane Lowe spot. Um, and yeah, yeah, I'd listen to any old crap. I used to listen to a lot of pop music that I actively hated just because I thought it was like the done the thing. done thing. Yeah. <laughs> To have the radio on. And, um, yeah, 2005, you know, set the scene. Tony Blair just won his third term as Prime Minister. Yeah. J-Lo was on the radio. Uh, the, uh, I think this would have been just before... Oh, it would have been around the time that the uh, the um, 7-7 bombings in London. That would oh, have been a, yeah, very that good. Would have yeah. Been very, uh, <laughs> well, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, very good, well remembered, <laughs> you, you, you asshole. <laughs> I remember being a kid and thinking, "Oh, well, they messed that up. They should have done it two years later." Oh yeah, me too. Yeah, there was still a couple of years till the financial crash. You know, we none of us knew any better. We were probably sitting there thinking, "Yeah, I'm going to buy a house. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll we'll own our own homes by the time we're twenty. We've got some good jobs lined up. We're smart lads. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll just we'll That's go right. down the local job center and just tell them to give us one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, went to went to a good school. I'll probably get a job in a in in an office. Yeah, but I'll, but I'll but it'll be a cool office. Yeah, no ties, I, just I, ping pong tables. Exactly, nothing but ping pong tables. There's actually no desks. You have God. to sit, sit with your <laughs> clunky desktop computer on top of a, an active ping pong table. Yeah. <laughs> then I've well, been lightly splashed by a ping pong ball going into my hot coffee. Oh. Well, they should play with marshmallows so that if it lands in your hot coffee, you can... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's hot chocolate, isn't it? Hot chockey. That's fine. Oh, well, I... that was 2005, and in that uh, turmoil arose this uh, great work. Yeah, you didn't, I didn't really like answer any, either of your questions but that, but my, my prevalent memory of it is thinking, this is going to be so good, and then very quickly thinking, this is going to be so hard, and then, and then sort of stopping. Because I, I did sort of perhaps naively think, well, I'll come back to it. It's hard right now, but if I try again in a couple of weeks, it won't be hard. Because, oh. I'll, I'll, you know, I've had more time to... Like, it was like the, the kernel, maybe, of understanding that I needed more ability, but not not full, not a, even a, like a, a fully realized, like, you know, thought or understanding. Just 
Yeah. The, the sense that, like, okay, I'm not there, but maybe two weeks later I will be, but not understanding that something would need to happen in those two weeks. Which makes me sound like a very stupid child, but <laughs> that was that was kind of... I had both a lot of insight and uh, no understanding. Well, no, but, I mean, the thing is a lot of... A lot of kids wouldn't even attempt this stuff. I mean, the thing is, what you're describing is exactly what I went through over and over again, and exactly what I'm sure most people went through who ever tried to write seriously when they were younger, or whoever tried to draw well, or whoever picked up an instrument and tried to play it. There is this sense of infinite possibility when you're a kid. You think, oh, yeah, I'm going to be great at this. I'm going to give it a go, and it'll be good, and I'll just get better and better. And so often what happens is you just immediately come up against this wall where your expectation of what you want to be able to do and what you hope to be able to do is so far away from what you're actually capable of that it yeah. just seems like there must be something wrong with you, that you're missing some vital piece of information that to to make yourself good at the thing yeah and it's 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 a horrible feeling and you don't know what to do about it yeah, it is a horrible feeling and yeah i i didn't know what to do about it and i mean the the sad punchline to a lot of a lot of these things um for me at least um not not for yourself but for for me is that i i never did sort of uh i never did come back to a lot of them well any of them like you know i i started so many projects and i i didn't come back to them and I've my skills have moved. My skills and my focus have moved into uh, other creative areas where I am maturely developing and growing and working. But yeah, I often think about the comics that I haven't made and the animations that I haven't made because I still have a love of drawing. I don't do it very often, but I'm always thinking about doing it. And whenever I'm out and about and I see something, I think, oh, kind of wish I had the the free time, the free energy, and the, the wherewithal to sit and draw, you know, this scene or this person or this, you know, this view or, you know, mm. even just a concept that comes into my head. And, yeah. Yeah. Looking looking back at these, it's like, well, you, you had nice ideas. Yeah. And that, that's, that's, it's not gone to waste, but it's a shame that I didn't manage to get myself to, you know, follow up on those. And that's not saying that I never will, but I don't know if that's a thing that will that'll sort of happen for me or that I will make happen for me. Yeah. Well, the thing is each one of these projects can just be a learning experience that you use as a stepping stone to something greater. But at the time it never feels that way. You never think of it as a stepping stone. The reason why you apply yourself to something is because you think, Oh, this is a great idea. This could be great. And it's disappointing when you can't make it happen. And this is something I've been fighting basically. Yeah. Since I was about 13, um, which is why, you know, like all of the, like this podcast kind of basically starts when we were 13 or 14, because yeah. everything before that was truly just like a little kid just doing stuff. But it was suddenly I got this idea in my head, and I think you did too, that you could make serious art, that you could do something that had yeah. an impact and that meant something. But it's just ever since then, it's been this struggle between expectation and skill level. <laughs> and it's still so hard, you know. I, I I would love to be able to just always be in a creative flow state where I can use the skills I have to create things that I'm happy with and just keep doing it. But it's it it's 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 never been that way. And I guess I have to accept that it never will. You're always kind of like pushing at the the, the edge of what you can do. Yeah. And struggling with the worth of what you're doing. Yeah. I think that's uh 
I think you're absolutely right when you say like that that's a thing that we like anyone that's uh, attempting in any serious sense to like be a creative and do creative things I think that we all sort of like stumble and push up against that I think that realistically that for as long as you are continuing to try and grow I think that that will probably always be a passenger with you but yeah <clears throat> but that it, it because of that because it happens as long as you're trying to grow that's why you can also see it as a good thing mm. because that's how you get better it's it's because you have seen other people's work that's so good or you've had like visions of 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 things that are so good that you know what is possible and then when you put pen to paper and it's no it's nowhere near you go well that's not good enough i've seen what's possible i know what's possible and this is not it if you were just content to sit there with uh, the little amount that you were capable of when you were 14 or 15 years old, you never would have gotten anywhere. It was sort of, it's, it's essential that you look at it and go, this isn't good enough. I need, to, I need to find a way through this. I need to learn. I need to, um, to keep trying harder. You, yeah. can't just, you, know, you can't just sit there with... Uh, <laughs> what did... Uh, was it Ernest Hemingway who said, if you're going to be a writer, you need a bullshit detector? <laughs> you need to know if what you're looking at is crap. You can't just think everything you've done is good. But that's that's the harsh thing. You need a filter. You need a filter as, as an artist to be able to say, no, this is crap. Yeah, it's... It, Panning for gold, and occasionally you get gold. <laughs> I think it's... Um, yeah, I, I think that you're... I think you're absolutely right. But my it, it also runs counter to my uh, to my sort of humanist tendencies of you need to understand that like even if something is crap you need to understand that like it's uh, that may be the best that you can do in that moment and that you know for for me the the problem with like calling my own work crap is that it makes me feel like I'm crap and those are two yeah separate no it's not healthy yeah it's not a good way of thinking those are two separate entities um, and like. Yeah, like for me, it's it's always juggling those two, and you know, like with with what we're doing now with this podcast, like looking back at stuff, like yeah, of course, if I made that now, I'd probably feel like, oh my god, a teenager made this, but like a teenager did make this, you know what I mean? But I'm not that person mm. anymore. I've moved beyond that, and like it was okay when I made it as a teenager, you know, and it's sort of one of the many steps that I've taken to being where I am currently. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose the ideal is to um, to be pleased with what you're doing, but constantly be pushing just a little, having just uh, having a reasonable amount of challenge and of new problems to solve each time you work. You don't just want to be sitting there doing the same thing over and over again. But if the challenge is so great that it stops you working on it, if the challenge is so great that it just crushes you, that's not good, is it? No. And that's I feel very much as though that is what happened here with Third Dimension, that the challenge was just insurmountable. You wanted to make a comic that looked like Joan and Vasquez's comics, yeah. and it was it was just so far beyond the abilities you had at the time that it wasn't, you know, you, you were just setting yourself up for a disappointment. Yeah, yeah. I've always had this um, this picture in my head of myself I don't know if I'll ever free myself of it, but I've always had this picture in my head of myself as, like, as very, very lazy and very um, trailing behind my peers. Mm. And it's it's something that I struggle with quite a lot because there's a part of me that understands that I'm not actually lazy at all. 
I may enjoy my physical comfort and like I may enjoy rest and like, you know, doing things that are just for fun. But like, I don't think that it's fair for me to call myself lazy. But even when I was making stuff back then and I was sort of at, um, you know, something of a, an early zenith, an early zenith, an early zenith of, um, you know, so my, my first phase of uh, creativity around this time. Because like 2005 is the like we've we sort of mapped out the projects we we're making. So it seems like 2005 was like a banner year um, for like the projects that we put it that we're putting out. Like a lot of a lot of the ones that we were talking about like taking place there. Um, yeah. But um, I do remember thinking, okay, if you want to do this, like if you want to make comics, you're gonna have to like stop being so lazy, and you're gonna have to start like putting stuff out there. And I imagine that as soon as I came across discomfort in the form of um not knowing how to do something and not having the comprehension that I didn't know how to do it but that I could learn if I taught myself um or maybe just not knowing how to teach myself whether that was a thing but like once I once I came up against the discomfort of you know not being able to do the thing I wanted to do I imagine that I probably would have been quite self-flagellating about it like when I stopped doing it and maybe that's why I don't remember the exact sensations around uh stopping doing it because i imagine that they were probably quite harsh on myself like just yeah. thinking oh you're lazy you're never gonna get anything done and like yeah that was uh that was a real thing for me particularly then but you know sometimes still now i've gotten a better handle on it now uh, you know but it's that was definitely like a part of it for me but so you were really trying to basically take the making of this comic seriously like you'd seen the J- Jonan Vasquez's work and you'd thought oh my god you can make comics that look beautiful and that also people buy as a sort of alternative creator you know you don't it's yeah. a, I, maybe for the first time you actually thought I could do this I could have my comics in a in a shop people might actually buy them and be a fan like yeah some like you know five years from now some like little teenage guy who's just starting to realize who he is as a person could go into a comic a comic shop and see my work and decide to buy it, and I thought that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you mentioned but, uh, the difference between two thousand and five, uh, like two thousand and five being uh, this, like so many projects you tried, but maybe it's because that was when you still had this uh, unbridled optimism that hadn't yet been tempered by these experiences of the setbacks of facing projects that were too difficult. Because I, I think I was probably the same in about 2004, 2005. It was like anything goes, you know, you can do anything, anything at all. But by 2006, 2007, it was like, pick your battles. This is hard. Yeah. This is hard. And yeah. you need to make sure that it's something you you can do and that you really, really want to do. Like focus on one thing at a time, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's like there's a... No, I mean, you, you've said it perfectly. Like, I don't have anything, anything to add to that, but that's, yeah, I think you're spot on about that. Yeah, you're young enough and you're willing to just barrel into something because you haven't experienced failure yet, so you don't fear it. It's a, tran- it's a transition from I can do anything to I can do anything, but it's going to be, it's going to take time, it's going to take effort. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's going to... It's adding that, like, layer of understanding. It's understanding that it comes at a price, basically. Like, you have to be willing to make sacrifices, time sacrifice emotional sacrifice like you sometimes you do have to go through you know those difficult parts to to to, to ever possibly get something finished you have to fight through the hard bits sometimes you know yeah. it's, it's i would love to say that 
all creativity is always a joy but sometimes it's more like the catharsis of therapy you have to go through the hard stuff to yeah you gotta lean in lean into the discomfort yeah. because that that way lies salvation i do think side note looking at these pages mm. one easy thing you could have done to make them look a lot more how you wanted them to look would have been using big areas of solid black like just covering the backgrounds in solid black yes and that was um that was a, a thing that i sort of thought about after the fact like um I, when we talk about another comic of mine later, we'll sort of that. That was when I realised that I could I could sort of do that. Um, but I remember at the time not fully understanding. Uh, it was sound, it sounds very stupid, but I remember at the time thinking these look very these pages look really sparse. But like, then they're not. There's plenty happening, but they they look very open and empty. And why is yep. that? And I couldn't I couldn't put two and two together and realise that. You know, a filled-in black background can often be, uh, you know, more much more engaging than a non-filled-in white background. Mm. For some reason, yeah. I mean, it 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 sort of yeah. gives the page weight and composition in a way that just like lines don't. I think it's. I mean, I have a lot of respect for the comics artists you do see who do these very kind of open, sparse, just like line drawings on white backgrounds. Yeah, because that's actually quite hard. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's very. Very added difficult. to the fact that you were composing these pages like each page is its own design like the usual scum was just six square panels every time and on... yeah so this is yeah this is my first time uh like breaking from like a repeating formula like a you know where i didn't have to think about it too much and i remember one thing i do remember about making it is that i didn't plan the whole page out as i went along like i planned I would I would plan like half a page or like a couple of panels and then I'd start inking them and then I'd try and work out what I was going to do with the rest of the space which is idiotic but like that is how I, that is how I did it. Okay. Any any thoughts to add there? Run that by me again. <laughs> so I would um so if you imagine that there's say there's like two panels at the top of the page and then like a big panel taking up like two thirds of the bottom of the page. I didn't think about what the page was going to involve. Uh. I like, I would pencil draw the first two panels be like, yeah, that those two work. And then I would commit to them by inking on them. And then I would pencil draw what came uh. next. Yeah. Which was, Stupid. Well, it's an interesting way of doing it. Well, it's not stupid. I mean, the thing is, there's no good way of making a comics page, really. It's um, like there's no system. Yeah, everyone does it differently. <clears throat> and I just, at this point, tend to stick to a just a, a consistent grid just because it kind of takes it out of your hands and it um, it means you don't have to think about that kind of thing. Yeah. So often it feels like, you know, what do I what what am I really gonna gain by shaking up the layout and having differently sized panels and things? It's I can't really think what it would add, so I just keep it consistent. Well, um, <laughs> I always I I'm sort of just right now having the realization that like uh, Marvel comics have to like the artists have to fill a fixed number of pages with a fixed amount of story. So like it probably it probably for them it probably comes from you know, having to, like, maybe I've only got, like, 16 pages worth of, like, um, you know, writing to cover 24 pages, so maybe I need to get a bit fruity with, you know, my, my panel, <laughs> right, right. you know, <laughs> to sort of spread it out, because I don't want to have to try and fit more in. Yeah. 
you know, like that, that would, I mean, that's me taking, taking a guess, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why that's a developed tool in the arsenal. Yeah, it, kind of, it was kind of a revelation for me reading Adrian Tamin's comics and seeing how sometimes he, um, in, in some of his stories, if the story like, ended halfway down a page, he would just let the rest mm. of the page be blank. And I, I've never seen anyone else do that, but it's something that I do. Um, I was going to say, you do, you do that. I was like, the, yeah. I, I knew that you'd taken it from somewhere. I didn't know it was Adrian Tamin. But... It's not really deliberate as such. It's not like I want the gap to be there, but it's sort of like, if I need those like last five panels on the page, but then I've got nothing else to add, it's like, what do you want me to do? Just add stuff for the sake of it or delete stuff for the sake of it? Like, what's the problem? Just leave the panels blank. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I don't really see the issue, (laughs) (laughs) but it was kind of a revelation for me because it it made me look at comics and be like, Oh, okay. They can be just like text. The story can just be as long as it needs to be, and you don't have to like artificially finagle the panels to fill the space just for the sake of it. Like, why should you? You know. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think you're. I think that's absolutely fair. Like, um, I, I always think that a, a story should stop where it stops. Yeah. Yeah. Or before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ideally, <laughs> ideally, don't get the whole thing started. Yeah. Let's just put on put on telly. And I mean, you know, continuing talking about trying to draw it well, you must have noticed as well at the time that it was never going to be as funny as the usual scum because it had this kind of, you know, it didn't. The part of what's funny about funny comics is if they're kind of a bit badly drawn, it, it like it sort of deliberately like leaning yeah. into it, like the the artist kind of showing that they just they don't give a crap. They're just like being weird and funny. I also think the most humor is quick. You get slow build like jokes or like slow burn jokes, but like, yeah, most most humor is like quick and jab, and it's the unexpected, and like, exactly. And obviously, you can try and get that when you're like penciling in rough roughs, but like, I think some somehow, even if the joke comes from words that are written, I feel like the longer you spend like, you know, inking a page and getting it to look exactly the way you want it to, the the more you sort of like suck the suck the spice. You know, you, uh, out of the the jokes that you're making, yeah. it sort of dilutes dilutes them somehow. It's so true, and you must you must yeah. have realized that at the time, and that must have been something oh, else. Oh, abs- that... absolutely. I, I I remember looking back at the first couple of pages and just being like, "Well, that's not very funny, is it?" Yeah. Well, at least you recognized it. <laughs> well, yeah. The, you had yeah. the ability. That's what I mean. You know, you have the bullshit detector, the ability to look at it and go, "Well, this isn't what I want. This I I know what I'm aiming for." And it's something great, and this is not it. Mm. Why was it called Third Dimension? <laughs> um, it was called Third Dimension because it was, um, to my mind, it was the third comic that I was making, but it was also sort of meant to reference, like, moving from this sort of, like, I mean, it's a 2D comic, there's no questions about it, but it was like, it was about, like, moving from, um, moving from what I viewed as like very, very 2D comics with no depth and no like substance into comics with depth and substance. Um, but also alluding to the fact that there was this sort of like this shadow realm, this other dimension um, to the, like the town that uh, like the character of Sam was going to, going to find. It wasn't going to be referred to as the third dimension because that obviously we already have a third dimension, but like I remember thinking, oh yeah, that works. That's cool. So, would you like to do a dramatic reading? 
Would I like to do a dramatic reading? I was going to ask if you would do a dramatic reading. All right. <laughs> I know that I know that's a little out there, but I sort of I'm ass- I want to hear it. I'm assuming you just don't have the comics to hand. Correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you don't even know what we're talking about. <laughs> Not a single thing in my life. All right, let me. Uh, I haven't practiced this, but uh, <clears throat> let me give it a go. So, okay. Sam's asleep, curled up in his bed, and he's dreaming of being in the gym where there's a sign that says "Fat people go to hell." It's a bit harsh, Sam. Narration. The bleep test. You run the length of the gym and touch the wall in time for each beep. They get faster every now and then. Sam. Ugh. It's such a waste of time. And then a voice from off-panel says, Just 38 more levels to go, Samuel. And Sam says, You. And then we cut to, That's right, it's me, unconvincing, two-dimensional-looking dog of terror, and I'm here to do something. And Sam says, No! Wait, what? And then it cuts to Chilton, smoking a spliff, and he says, It's at times like this, I envy the homeless. Seriously, though, wake up. So he must have been in your dream. And then we cut to Sam, walking to school. Jesus, why is the first day back always so depressing? And then Jesus is actually there next to him, and he says, That's because you've gotten used to the time off. It's a natural feeling. I guess. Hey, <laughs> who's she? And then we see this uh, goth girl with a little arrow pointing to her that says, Proof that I can draw. So you see, you were taking pride in your drawing there, Sam. And Jesus yeah. says, Just some fit goth girl. She's been wandering around town for the last week or so. She really is attractive, isn't she? Such beautiful eyes, too. Jesus? And then Jesus is going off in a taxi, and he says, Faster, cabman! And Sam just says, uh... <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? It's kind of funny. It's, 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 kind of funny. it's not bad. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I, I, like, I like the idea that uh, Jesus spends a lot of time, like, a lot of time like keeping tabs on the the teenage children in this town. <laughs> Very suspicious there, Christ. Foster <laughs> yeah. mm. cabman. I'm going to use that. Is is he really Jesus or is he just some local drug dealer that the kids call Jesus? Mm, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, it's impossible to say. <laughs> I think that that was like I think that I very much in the like the family guy vein just stealing Jesus is like a potential uh, as a occasional like throw in character just for you know the, the sake of the fucking easy punchline and uh, i missed out a few interjections because in the joan and vasquez style you've got some random little bits littered throughout like uh see i i was worried that there was more to it than <clears throat> you were reading that, yeah there's more <laughs> oh, Jesus. there's a few things i didn't mention there's like a label pointing to your armpit that says super sweat tm um, and there's just a random coat hanger off next to one of the panels, and it says hangers are irrelevant. <laughs> and there's more, but I won't bore you with the details. Sam, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> you got you got any quiz questions for me, or, or or not? I got some quiz questions for you. Do you actually? Yeah. Oh, lovely. Uh, so uh, my my first question for you is: by what percentage margin? Did Tony Blair win the 2005 election? <laughs> 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 okay. I like that so. I like that so much of our podcast is just talking about the reign of Tony Blair. Hey, we grew up with Tony, phony Tony, Tony B liar. 
Tony Soprano. We can't do anything about that. We're Tony, Tony of that generation. <laughs> um, Sam, how close do I have to get the percentage of lead? If it's in the same, if it's in the same decade. <clears throat> Let me just pull. I've got my answers written down. That's what I had to go and get as my book. Okay, I know it was his. Um, because he won three times. The first time was a landslide. The second time was a slightly less of a landslide, but still a landslide. And the third time was not a landslide, but still comfortable. So I'm going to say that they won the election in 2005 by about seven percentage points. It's actually not that uh, not that much. Okay. Um, it's slightly less it's 2.8 percent that's what they won by okay the liberal democrats did uh did surprisingly well in that election though oh yeah in terms of like uh popular vote like uh like tony blair got 35.2 percent uh michael howard i remember him he got 32.4 percent and uh charles kennedy the late great uh 22 percent oh that's not that what it makes yeah, that was the first a, election I paid any attention to. Actually, I remember watching the election night coverage on TV, and um, you were always uh, you were always one election ahead of me in your in your interests. Both uh, I, I started paying attention the two thousand ten uh, UK election. You started paying attention to the presidential um, elections uh, from two thousand eight, which yeah. was the good one. That was the fun one. Yeah, I only got in, t- in there in time for two thousand twelve. Uh, yeah, two thousand and eight. That was great. You know, everyone was rooting for Obama. It was it was an exciting time, Sam, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all this fed into third dimension, obviously. You, yeah, you can it see it in there in the subtext. It's deeply layered. All right. Question number two. What size did I make third dimension? I'm talking about paper size. Oh, oh, oh. Well, ooh, is this a is this a trick question? It is not a trick question. Is that a trick answer? <laughs> no, it's <laughs> it's an answer that like so, someone like I'm not I, I'm not it's it's an answer. Okay, was it A three? It was not. Oh, all right. What was it then? It was two bits of A five. What? One of the well, the, the first page that I worked on. I don't know if you. I, I pretty much scrubbed it from the the digital work, um, but one of the first pages that I made initially, I thought I would work on A five paper, which in which is in, in part like part of uh, me like doing the panels in the sort of like ad hoc way that I, I was doing them. Yeah, it's because that very that very first page I started filling out, and I thought that it was just going to be like four roughly equally sized panels, like the smaller ones along the top. Um, I thought that was going to be like how the 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 page sort of looked like for all of it. And then I realized I wanted to do it like a bigger panel. And so I got a second piece of A5 paper, like one of those ones that you can sort of like tear out of uh, like a ring bound sketchbook. I very carefully sellotaped along the back. So I had like a larger piece of paper. And then afterwards I moved to A4 paper because I realized that made much more sense. But Well, that is kind of cool because uh, I would have just given up if I felt like it was on the wrong size of paper. I would have just screwed it up and said, to the hell with this. My drawing teacher at university always said, um, if you get to the edge of the paper and you want to keep drawing, don't Did stop drawing. Bit... Just oh. stick some more paper to it. Wow. And I was like, this guy's a maverick. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I love when uh, university teachers have the worst takes, and you think, is this a good take, or is this the reason that you're a teacher and not an artist? <laughs> but I do also agree that, like, uh, you know, like you should you shouldn't let the bounds of the paper that you're on be the thing that determine what you draw or what you don't draw. But for me, I always just took that as if your if your image doesn't fit on the page, then you know don't try and force it to fit it in. Yeah, don't make the legs of your character shorter than they should be to squeeze their feet in. We all <laughs> did that at some very, point. Very, very funny. Oh, it's always funny, but they're laughing at you, not with you. Sad. But yeah, no, for me it was uh, just a structural redo. But I, I would have accepted an A4 if you'd said that, to be clear. Actually, oh, I, I, I thought, it an, thought it was an interesting fact to read. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, Sam. I should have known you wouldn't draw an A3 paper. Well, why would I make the question, what size paper did I use? <laughs> I told you it was a trick question. <laughs> you did tell me. I'm sorry, I should have listened to you. <laughs> okay. And the uh, final question, and honestly, there's no way that you'll get this, so... Yeah, sorry. we'll see, we'll see. Who was the goth girl? Oh, in the comic? Yeah. She's directly based on someone from real life? No, I, and like she takes inspiration for someone in real life, but that's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is like, what was like, what was her name? Who was she going to be? Oh, um, because uh... I'm pretty certain that I didn't get uh, so far as alluding to that in the comic. It's just like she's just a passing, passing character, right? She doesn't get named already. Wait, well, she was actually gonna like at some point take off her disguise and reveal herself to be none other than Taylor Swift. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure I actually understand the question. Like, what? what? Oh, the, the question. Sorry, I've, I've made it. I've made it. <laughs> do you, Do you know what that character was going to be called? Mm, ah, I feel like I do. I feel like if you tell me, I will remember it. But until then, no. So maybe tell me, and then I'll answer. Uh, her name was going to be Silence. Ah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that's a cool name. But you yeah, would, I you, thought you wouldn't actually give it to a kid, though, would you? In real life, it's a bit much. Well, no, but that was part of. Uh, we're getting we're getting deep into the law here, but like she had like she had a name that was like very like I think it was like Becky or something like a, Becky's the one that comes back to me. But like she called herself Silence when she had like moved over to this like goth world. Oh. Like she like had a rebranding, basically. They make you change your name like it's a cult. Yeah, it's kind of like but Harry like, Potter, like the alternate uh, hidden world. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. That was probably good, bleeding in there as well. Now that I think about it, at some point she'd lean in and say, "You're a goth, Sam." I'm a what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, because I remember her name being that, and thinking, "Hmm, I wonder if she's not going to talk throughout the whole thing, like she's mute." <laughs> I wonder if I'd seen Clerks at that point. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Really, really, we really should have written down the dates that we watched films for posterity. Yes, we should have written them down in a special book that we'd still have to this day. A special book. Oh yeah, those are my three quiz questions. Uh, how did I do, thinking... Sam? How did I do? Um, you got none. None, none what? Of, uh, none out of uh, none potatoes, my my good Wilkin. Sam, would you consider reviving this project now? And if you did, what would you do differently? If I did it now, I would probably 
make it into a set of young adult novels for um goth curious kids oh that's a good idea yeah i'd be it'd be called sam and the magic goth (laughs) (laughs) excellent title (laughs) amazing title uh amazing title (laughs) no but like like i yeah i think that would be the format that would be the the best um the best for it i think it's because I started making it as a teenager, like if I went back to it, I would want to keep that sort of like slightly, um, slightly small potatoes aspect of like, ooh, something magical's happening in my little town. There's another world here in my little town. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? You know, it's that sort of that that uh, shedding of innocence, but like still with a high like high reward factor. The young young adult uh, novels have to do so well because. You have to teach the, uh, teach kids that the world is not easy and free, but uh, you know, there's still there's still good to be had if you look for it. Wow, that's really true. Which then which which then prepares them for later novels when you're an adult, which teaches you that the world is mostly bad, but you can still find some glimmer of hope. <laughs> I mean, that's a really good answer, to be honest, because it's actually I, yeah, I think it would work really well. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. A kind of young adult novel delve into subcultures and what it like what it can honestly mean to kids to find a sort of subculture and find a kind of belonging because it does have that sort of secret society aspect of like harry potter but obviously just in a realistic way and um yeah. it sounds it seems silly to adults but it can it can mean a lot if you kind of find a tribe and it's it's actually like a thing of acceptance and you know self-expression and all that stuff yeah, and it's it's acceptance not from family but from peers, mm. you know, from friends and people who have shared experiences with you, perhaps. Like, uh, I remember feeling the most like myself when I would hang out with those kids, yeah. even even with all the awkwardness and with all the, uh, you know, like the social difficulties that I that I also felt. You know, I still felt like, well, these people understand things, and that's kind of cool. And I, yeah. I think in my own very limited way, that was what I was sort of hoping to eventually get to, but that would have been that would have been hundreds of pages down the line, and I definitely wouldn't have gotten that far. It's a cool idea, though. That's uh, probably one of the best answers that uh, we've had to that question so far. Well, thank you. It's a good idea. It's uh, it's not limited by the um, it's not limited by the sort of expectations of there being a lot of it where you would feel. Like, if I'd done, you know, 300 pages of this thing, um, then I maybe would have been like, well, I don't know, I'd probably keep it as a comic, because I did it as a comic already, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think the, I think the concept would work well as a young young adult novel, maybe with a couple of illustrations, maybe not, but probably just a book that you could buy. Well, then, let's so, stick this bad boy right up on that cringe league table. Sam... All right, let me let me open my book. Get out the big cringe book. Big big old cringe book of bastards. All right, hit me. What's your score for nostalgia out of one hundred for Third Dimension? My score for nostalgia for Third Dimension is. I'm gonna I'm gonna slap it right pretty pretty much in the middle. I'm gonna give it a forty eight. Like um. I think it's 
it's an important uh, piece for me in terms of what it taught me, but I I also can't place it much higher than that because it's you know there's nothing of it. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, that's that's high-ish. I mean, it's kind of cool. Oh. Yeah. But how much do you cringe out of one hundred, Sam? I would say uh, easily easily a thirty-six cringe. It's a th- like when I think of this series, I do unfortunately wince. Like hearing you reading it, part of me wanting you to read it is that I like obviously I didn't have it pulled up in front of me, but I could have like remedied that, but. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't want to have to read it out loud. <laughs> <clears throat> wow. Well, I thought I did a great job of reading it. Um, <laughs> you... you did? No, 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 no. Like the cringe would have come from me reading my huh? own work, but you reading my work is you're free. Huh? It's fun for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey. Maybe that's how we should do this. We should just read each other's work out every time. Maybe that's a tweak. Yeah, that's a much better good, idea. Do you love a good tweak? Oh, God. Okay, so listen, Sam, we don't have the latest mathematics over here like you over in Silicon Valley with your fancy computers, but mm-hmm. I've calculated it to roughly 42. Is that correct? No. Oh, okay, what is it then? <laughs> 48 minus 36 is 12, Colin. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. I, I, sorry, I was using a different <laughs> formula. What was your formula? I did 48 plus 36 divided by 2. No, that's... Uh, so we only do that when both of us are giving a score. Oh, uh, yeah. We do... But but even then, it's uh, it's like nostalgia plus nostalgia, um, for like minus cringe, versus, uh, minus cringe plus cringe. Well, like I said, I mean, um, we don't have the latest mathematics over here. I'm living in a rural <laughs> location. It's, <laughs> like you keep saying. It's... What can you do? You know, like I'm doing the best with what I have. Stop judging me, God. God, yeah. why are you judging yeah, me? <laughs> well, uh, do you want do you want the league table in reverse? Um, give it up. Okay, sure. But we're starting to get to the point where there's so many in the list that it's getting unwieldy. But I think we've got. There's one more entry that I can enter onto this page. I think after that, we will no longer do a full league table, except maybe every now and again. Okay. Um. But like, uh, yeah. For the next, for this one and the next one, we'll we'll keep it, keep it, uh, keep it wieldy. Um, but yes, it's uh, so in reverse. Last place, bring up the rear as as a, as it belongs. Facial hair, hmm. the original Usual Scum sequel. Second to last is Third Dimension. Oh, the second Usual Scum sequel. Oh, twelve. I know. Oh! It's, it's uh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! I almost <laughs> fell off my chair. And then with over twice so as shocked. many, <laughs> I almost fell off with, my chair. Uh, <laughs> with over twice as many juvos, juvenile points, uh, is Lissabling at twenty five. Right, right. And very close. Obviously, there's River Business twenty seven. Hmm. <laughs> Can we just swap those around? Because Lissabling's is better than River Business. I don't know that it is, Wilkin. Oh. No. <laughs> no, that's, I've got a I've got a weak spot for comedy, so stuff that makes me laugh is always gonna do better than stuff that makes me cry. The Lith Siblings was um, a comedy. Didn't you get it? <laughs> oh, it was a dark comedy. I didn't I didn't get it, sorry. That went over my head. Then uh, with forty one, a story by with forty two, the white room. With forty four point five the porn. With fifty two point five Sun City and as ever the reigning champion undefeated 
the usual scum with 57. What a load of crap. <laughs> well, that score that score is not uh, is not undefeatable. It's less than two thirds of a perfect mark. Why but, I uh, oughta... I'm so mad. All right, well let's just maybe there's maybe there's a different metric here. Maybe a perfect project is something that gets as close to fifty. Maybe it's like you know bowls. <laughs> <laughs> let's put Consider this unpleasantness that. behind us, Sam, and try and figure <laughs> out what the hell we're going to talk about next time. Uh, needs to be a joint project. Let me have a I'll look here at the, the smoke a joint project. <laughs> oh, that would be preferable. Um. Oh, ooh, ooh! I think I know what it needs to be. Ooh! All right, go on then. It begins with a J. Oh Jesus! No, Jesuit. <laughs> Why? What were you thinking? <laughs> no, uh, like, t- tell me, tell me, tell me what it's going to be. Welcome, take the reins. It's going to be the comic that we made together, called Jesuits, right? Wow! Unless you disagree. Yeah. No, I, that's what that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Was, I think it's I think it's time that we uh, lift the lid on the Jesuits uh, Jesuits pet crate. <laughs> oh. Let 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 them out. Let the, let the little Jesuits out. Oh, that's quite an exciting idea. Yeah. Yeah, they're all gonna pop right out and make them some squeaky noises or whatever the hell it is they do. Um, because I I mean we've got a lot of uh, you know a few short stories. At um, the last two things. Hang on, I'm just going to look at the Juvenilia archives, please. And just to make sure, let's, like, let's, what did we let's do? Take last the time? Mine, let's take the mine car down into the depths. Okay, so last time we did Sun City. Mm. So I guess this time it's fair enough to do a comic. I'm just desperate not to imbalance it, so we just end up talking about loads of the same sort of thing. But yeah, I think we, it's got to be Jesuits. Let's do it. I think it's got to be. Just, we've got to get. I think that we're in into a run of uh, of of sleeper shits. <laughs> Ooh. Like I think that we, I think that we're moving into the uh, the, the crud area era of our uh, no, of, of of our work. No, and there's no. Jesus sits right in the middle there. <laughs> there is no crud era, Sam. It's, the whole era is is gold. Everything we've ever done. <laughs> we're mining a rich seam. Oh, God. Okay, next time, Jesuits. This time, juveniliapodcast at gmail.com. I'm sorry to say, gotten a few abusive emails over the last few oh, weeks. Shit, really? It's, it's sad out there, Sam, right now. You know, people are animals. What can I say? Well, there's a lot of... The world's being stirred up by uh, God knows what. Yeah, yeah, it there's is. That and the other, as far as I can tell. Yeah, all the political situations and so on. It's just like, Ooh, people just... <laughs> If you don't have anything nice to say, right, don't send me an email because I don't, I don't really care. Just get out of who, it. Right? Who, was, who was it out of interest? Was it was it uh, was it Stubby Dan? I, I don't want to give them the oxygen, to be honest, <laughs> because I don't want to give them the oxygen of publicity. Actually, well, fair. So I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna tell you their name. Okay, you know who you are if you're listening. <laughs> You shit. <laughs> okay, this bit's gone on way too long. Uh, this was swell. Thank you, Sam. Bye. Bye.